Anybody here have an iPhone? Just have your hand up. You can just see how wrong we can be sometimes. People thought the iPhone wouldn't do anything, and it's pretty much changed the world. Albert Einstein thought we'd never get to nuclear power. Sometimes uh, we can't predict our own future. Sometimes we are way off, and we do an awful job at predicting what our future would hold. Sometimes we do a really good job at it. And that's kind of what we want to talk today is, is concluding this idea of how do we predict our own future? How do we know where we're going and what it's, what's it going to be like? Before we dive in, uh, I just want to kind of cover this with a very general statement. This isn't something that's going to surprise you, really. It's true for all of us. It's true for me. It's true for you. It's true for anybody that has any kind of life experience. And that statement is this, that our worst decisions were fueled by something with strong emotional appeal. I know you hear that and it's like, duh, right? Like every bad decision I've made, every bad decision you've made, it had, it had strong emotional appeal. I desired it. I wanted it. It, it looked good. It, it was, you, you know, I, I wanted to lease it. I wanted to buy it. I, wa- I wanted to move in with it, whatever it might be. I, I, I wanted it. I desired it. And there it was. And now, you know, it had this, this strong emotional appeal. Everything within you was like, yeah, I got to have it. And then once you get it, this incredible thing happens. You know what happens? It loses its appeal. You get it and it's like, oh, I guess it wasn't that good. Oh, I moved in with it and now I'm stuck with it, right? It, that's what we do. We, we, we desire things and, and we want things and it has this incredible appeal and we pursue it, we date it, we buy it, we lease it, we move in with it, we marry it, whatever it might be, we, we, we take the career, whatever it is. It has this incredible emotional appeal and then we get it and it, it loses its appeal. And, and what's interesting is, is it leads us to a path, it leads us to a place that we never intended to be. And that's what we've been kind of talking about with, with this whole idea of of predicting your own future is that it can, our decisions can take us to a place that even though we have good intentions, it's a place we never wanted to go, a person we never wanted to become. So even though I have a whole message of prayer for you, let's just make this really simple and then we can kind of wrap it up. You ready? Just don't do that anymore. Let's just not do that. Let's just not lead the, like follow the path to the strong emotional appeal and we'll be all set. Good? Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs> I mean, really, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of that simple but it's also incredibly hard because there is that appeal, there is that desire, there is that thing in us that, that, that wants this, this thing, whatever it is that has kind of captured our attention, our imagination. <clears throat> we've, we've had this discussion about what it would look like if we were to be able to predict our own future. And the truth is, with, with some pretty good accuracy, we can predict our own future. And the way we do that is, is kind of built into to this entire talk. It's about a principle. And the principle that this entire talk was built around, we call it the principle of the path. And the principle of the path says this, direction determines destination. Direction determines destination. That the road you're on, the path you're on, whatever it might be, that wherever it's headed, that's ultimately where you're going to end up. And we know that about driving. We know that about hiking. We know that about biking. We know that about certain areas of our life. What's interesting is when it comes to how we live, there seems to be a disconnect. Like, oh, I realize if I'm, wa- if I'm walking this road, I'm going to end up wherever this road takes me. But, but when I live, I don't, I don't have to, to spend that way to get to where I want. I don't want to have to live this way to have the financial future or the marriage or, or the family or the career that I want. I can just have good intentions. And that's where we struggle. The, the first week, we really kind of dove into this idea that, that it is direction that ultimately determines your destination, that, that we can have the, these good thoughts, we can have good ideas, we can intend to be something different. But ultimately, the, the path you're on, the road you're on, will lead you to wherever your destination is, whether you want to be there or not. And then week two, we added another word to this definition, and that was this, that direction, not intention, determines your destination. Now, you can have the best intentions in the world, but if if it's not on the path, (coughs) you won't end up there. And and that's, that's the difficult thing. That direction trumps intention every single time. 
No matter how good your intentions might be, no matter how good of a husband you want to become or a father you want to become, no matter how you, know, how you want to, to build your financial future, you can have the best intentions in the world. But if your behavior, if the path you're on is spend, you'll never get the financial future. If the path you're on is yell and scream, you'll never earn your kids' respect. If the path you're on is to be selfish, you'll never be a husband worth following. So our path always dictates our destination, not our intention. And, and that's a big deal. And that's, I think, where so many people get lost in this disconnect. Well, I never intended to be here. I never intended to do this. I didn't want my life to look like this. But when we look back on, back on the path we're on, it's very clear how we got to where we are. Because direction determines your destination every single time. Now, I, I know this is hard and, and we don't like this, but, but the parents, the, we kind of hit this a little last week, parents have this kind of built-in radar about this thing. Right? Parents, if you're a parent and you have children, you, you kind of know this. That parents, they're not so much concerned about where things are now. Right? Parents react to where kids are headed, not where they are. And, and, you know, if, if you're a teenager and you brought home a boyfriend and your parents are like, well, great, but does he have a job? It doesn't matter. Look how gorgeous he is. <clears throat> yeah, but, but, but does, he go, does she go to school? But it doesn't matter. Look, Dad, she's so hot. It's like, no, 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 I see where things are now, but I'm more concerned about where this is headed, but we're kind of wrapped up in the now. As children, we're always wrapped up in the now, but parents have this radar that kind of goes off because parents understand that all relationships are dynamic, that all relationships are leading somewhere, they're going somewhere. And we might get caught up in the now, but they're seeing where it's headed, and their concern is, I don't know that, that you, you might not be able to see this now, but I can see where it's headed, and it's not where you want to be. This isn't the life you want. This isn't the relationship or the marriage you want. This isn't the family you want. This isn't in the future you've been holding out for your whole life. Don't give it up like in this moment for the now. Because I can see what's coming. And what's coming is so much greater if you could just hold out and direct your path that way. So if you've ever wondered, why are people always up in my business? Why do parents ask these pesky questions? It's because they can see where things are headed, even though you can't. And that's a struggle for us. Right? They can see things that we can't see. They, they, they can see things that maybe we don't even want to see. And do you know why? Because confirmation bias kicks in. Do you know what confirmation bias is? Confirmation bias is I see what I want to see, I hear what I want to hear, I see what I want to see and I hear what I want to hear, but I don't see what I don't want to see, and I don't hear what I don't want to hear. You, you might be able to even say, hey, but this is headed there. Oh, I, I, you're wrong. I don't see that. He actually, no, you're absolutely wrong. He doesn't behave that way. He's so nice and he's so generous. I don't see what I don't want to see and I only see and hear what I want to hear. Confirmation bias kicks in. And, and do you know what happens when confirmation bias kicks in? Our IQ actually goes down. And, and I know that stuns you, but here's how I know this. I'm not even going to use my own words. I'm going to use your own words against you. We, confirmation bias kicks in. We get into a relationship or we buy something or we lease something. We spend something on something. We move in with someone. And then years later, we look back and we say these words. How could I have been so... See? Your own words. Your IQ plummeted and you knew it. Confirmation bias kicks in. They warned me, my mom, my dad, my sister, my, my friend, my coworker, my boss, they warned me. It would, it would lead me there. And I said, no, 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 I can't see. I can't. I don't want to see that. How could I have been so stupid? That's what happens. We walk the path that, that leads to what we think we want. And we end up in a place we never, ever intended to be. You see, the truth is this, that the path to be avoided is paved with strong emotional appeal. It's paved with strong emotional appeal. We can see it. You, you, you can see the things that you want. What are the things that have strong emotional appeal? Here's just a quick list. 
Here are some of the things that have strong emotional appeal. It's newer. It's faster. It's bigger. That's like every iPod or every iPhone ever. Right? It's newer. It's faster. It's bigger. There's a 25% return. Honey, there's a 25% return. Yeah, but that's our kids' college money. That's, that, that's our future. Yeah, but it's a guaranteed return. Yeah, but we've been saving that for a vacation. But it's guaranteed. There's romance and desire. There's, there's acceptance, attention, adventure, security. That's a huge one. Are you sure you want to be with this guy? But, he, but he's got such a good job. Are you sure you want to marry her? But, but I think she's the one and I'm getting older. And, and, and We walk the road paved with strong emotional desire to the things we think we want. And it gets us to a place we never intended. To a life we never wanted. Because we walk the road of strong emotional appeal. See, the interesting thing with strong emotional appeal is that it lowers our defenses. It lowers our defenses. Things we knew we shouldn't do. Maybe it lowers our standards, if you want to word it that way. Things we, we knew we would never accept, but, but it lowers <coughs> our defenses. And what it also does is it increases our defensiveness. So maybe you find yourself in a conversation with somebody who loves you and they're warning you, hey, don't do this. Don't go there. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be seeing him. You shouldn't be seeing her. Don't spend your money on that. That's a foolish decision. If you find yourself getting defensive, getting angry, and you don't know why because you know this person has your best interest in mind, if you find yourself in a conversation like that, here's what I want you to do. Step back because it's strong emotional appeal that raises our defensive. And if you're being defensive, my guess is you're about to walk down a road, you can't see where it's headed. But the people around you who love you the most, who are invested in you, who are willing to ask the tough questions, your parents who are going to get pesky and get all up in your business, they can see where it's headed. And they know it's not what you've always wanted. But that's what strong emotional appeal does. It lowers our defenses. It raises our defensiveness. <coughs> if you're distracted by what's on the path, if these strong emotional things, if the things that, that you think you desire, right, it's newer, it's bigger, it's better, the 25% return, it's appealing. <coughs> if you, you're distracted by what's on the path, you'll be distracted from where the path is taking you. And that's what happens to so many people. I thought it was time to lease the, the car. And now I'm in and I can't afford it. I thought it was time to buy the bigger house with the, all the land and, and we got in and now I, you know, I, I don't know that I want it and I, I can't, definitely can't pay for it. I was so distracted by what was on the path. I didn't see where this path was going to take me and I don't want to be here now. If you're distracted by what's on the path, you'll ultimately opt for what's appealing over than what's satisfying. And if you spend any time living, you know that's not that satisfying. Because what's appealing for a moment very quickly turns into something different. See, what's, what's strong emotionally appealing now quickly turns into somebody else's prison. And what started as an innocent pastime and just some strong appeal and I desired it has now become a habit they can't break. And it has become a prison they can't break out of. So don't walk the path that's appealing. Choose the path that's ultimately satisfying. We're going to look at the scriptures, believe it or not, on a Sunday morning in church. <clears throat> there, there's a passage, and this won't surprise some of you if you've been in church, if you're a Christian, but for those of you who won't, this might surprise you. There's a man named Paul. Paul came on the scene as somebody who hated Christianity. Maybe you find yourself here this morning and you hate Christianity. You would have fit in well with Paul. Paul hated Christians. As a matter of fact, he made it his business to kind of end Christianity. And I know you're thinking, darn it, why wasn't he successful? <clears throat> he wasn't successful. The truth is, 
Paul not only did not become successful at stumping out Christianity, he became a Christian. He became a spokesperson for Christianity. He planted churches all around the Mediterranean Rim and then would travel and preach at these churches and teach and write letters to these churches. And that's where we find ourselves, in one of these New Testament letters that he wrote to the people of Galatia. So you have to imagine where he's coming from when he introduces this text. I've been there. I've started this work. I know who you are. I've taught you. Some of these things, as you're going to see as he references, I've taught you this before. I've already covered this. Why do I have to come back and cover this again? You guys should know this by now. He's writing this letter to a group of Christians in Galatia who he's already been pastoring and he's already taught this stuff. And he starts off with a really interesting way. He says this, you, my brothers and sisters, you, these are the Christians. These are the people that I know. I know you by name. I've taught you. You were there when I started this work. You were there the last time I came and I taught this. You're my Christian brothers and sisters. But if you find yourself here and you're not a Christian, you're not even sure you believe any of this, here's the for you. You get to kind of pick and choose. This really doesn't apply to you because Paul starts off by saying, you're my brothers and sisters. This is written to you Christians. If you're not a Christian, at this point, you can kind of pick and choose. But what I want you to do is hang with me because there's, there's something so amazing that Paul's going to hit on that applies to all of us, that if you'd be willing to apply it, it would change your life forever. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And, and that word free to me is really interesting because if you grew up like I did at all, I grew up with a version of Christianity that didn't feel very free. It didn't feel very liberating. And the truth is, it was the wrong kind. It was the wrong version. If you grew up with a version of Christianity that wasn't liberating and free, it's the wrong one. If you left Christianity because that version was, wasn't free and liberating, it felt like a prison, you left because it was the wrong version, and I want to invite you back. Because Christianity following Jesus, Paul says in his own words, should be freeing. It should be liberating. It should be an amazing life. And if you're experiencing anything other than that, that's not the right version of Christianity. But he says, with all of that freedom, don't use your freedom. Don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Don't use this, this, this liberation that, that Christianity offers you to indulge the flesh. When we hear that word, if you're not a church person, you're like, what does that even mean? Like to indulge the skin, to indulge the muscle? Like what's he talking about? This is just a by the way of, say, uh, of saying that there's a part of you, there's an appetite that, that feeds on your senses. All the things you can taste, you can see, you can touch, you can smell, you can hear. That, that wants these things, that wants to satisfy those desires for those things for your benefit. He said that is, that's a fleshly desire. It's a selfish desire. We would call it a, a sin. It, it's, it's sacrificing other people and other things so that you have everything you want for your own gain, for your own good. He said, those are the desires of the flesh. That's indulging the flesh. Don't use the freedom that Jesus provided for you to indulge your flesh, to live life as if you're the only thing that matters, as if the past is in the past, the future's in the future, and I just have to worry about me right now. Don't live life that way. That's not what Jesus offered you. He offered you freedom. So don't, don't live life indulging the flesh. He says, but rather, now he contrasts this, but rather, and here's the command, rather, <coughs> Serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. And he's getting right back to this, this New Testament Christian ethic. This is what it's all about. Don't leverage other people's futures and other people's lives and other people's good and other people's value for your own. That's not what we're called to do. Christ gave you freedom and used that freedom to serve one another, to serve one another in love. And then he says this amazing statement, for the entire law, and when he's talking about the law, he's talking about the original Jewish law, like the 613 commands. I think he's talking about all the law. Every piece of the law that governs behavior, he says, the entire law, every kind of law you can fabricate is fulfilled in keeping this one command. 
and you know it, and I know it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's one command. It covers everything. Everything else that's been written, every other law that could be written, every law that will be written, it's all completed right here. If you do this, everything else falls into place. Everything else fills under this thing. This is all you have to do. This is the New Testament ethic. This is the one command. Jesus, he even took this and he took it one step further. He said, I want you to go beyond just loving your neighbor as yourself. I want you to love people the way that I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? By sacrificing his power, <clears throat> by sacrificing his position, by sacrificing his future for ours. You want to know how to be a Christian? You want to know what it means to be a Christian? Do you want to know what it means to, to, to not give in and live a life that's directed towards the, the, the desires of the flesh, as Paul would put it? It's living as if other people matter more. It's living as if I'm willing to leverage myself and my future and, and my power and my position for the sake of other people. That's what it means. This is one command. One command covers everything else. If you do this, you don't need the rest of the law. You don't need something mom and dad said. You can't even remember what they said anyway. This governs everything. Just love your neighbor. Live as if they have value. Live as if you'd be willing to sacrifice to leverage your good for their good. Leverage your future for their future. Leverage your position, your power, your wealth for theirs. You live that way and you don't need the law. You're kind of above the law because you're under the one command of loving your neighbor as yourself. After all this, he says, so, so here's what I want you to do. So I say, walk by the Spirit which sounds really kind of creepy, right? Let's be honest. You feel like there should be some like eerie music in the background and something spooky happening. Like, what does this even mean? That when you decide to follow Jesus, he, God puts his spirit in you and his spirit will be leading you. Here's what I want you to just walk by the spirit. God will nudge you and he'll nudge you always in the direction of helping people. I always hear people say, well, how do I know it's God? How do I know God wants me to stop and feed that homeless person? Let me ask you this. <clears throat> do you think the enemy who hates people is really concerned about you stopping to feed a homeless person? God always nudges you in the area of leveraging yourself, your future, your wealth, your power, your position for the sake of other people. That's never a prompting of an enemy. That's never the prompting of, of the devil or Satan, if that's what you want to call him. That's never what he's going to direct you to do. How do we listen? Because the Spirit will lead us towards living the life that Jesus always wanted to. Loving people the way that he in God had loved us. Walk by the Spirit, he says. And you will not gratify. You won't say yes to the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the flesh, in another translation, say it this way, your selfish desires. The way you live life, like it's only you. And it's only what you care about that matters. And it's only your future that you're concerned about. And it's your power, and it's your position, and it's your wealth, and it's your job. I should have the promotion, even at the sake of making them look bad or feel bad, or I, I should have this. I should be the leader, and I should sacrifice everyone else to get there. I should have the authority, so I'm going to mistreat my wife, or I'm going to mistreat my husband so that I have it. I am living like, like it's only me that matters. Paul said, if you walk by the Spirit, this is not the life you will be led towards, because the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, will never nudge you that way. It will never nudge you to get more power for you. It will never nudge you to get more authority for you. It will never nudge you to get more wealth for you. It always nudges you in the way of leaning and living 
towards loving other people the way that Jesus loved us. Sometimes we walk the path and we get to a place we never wanted to be and we look back and say, how? It's because we weren't walking by the Spirit. We spent more time worried about our own selfish desires and we missed every opportunity along the way to love people the way Jesus loved us. Then Paul comes back and he says, for the flesh, the desires of, sorry, the flesh desires what is contrary. He says, there's this conflict. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. He said, there's, there, there's this war, and this isn't like a New Testament thing, this isn't a Christian thing, this isn't a church thing, this is a people thing, that in every person there's a war, there's a battle over what, what we want to do, right? We want to do something and we feel like God's telling us to do something else. I feel like I should do this, but I'm doing this instead. I feel like I ought to do this, but I'm doing this. I feel like I should do this, but I want to do this. There's a conflict between what we want and what we should be doing. And, God, and Paul's own words, there's a conflict. The Spirit is going to lead you to what you should be doing, but your fleshly desires, your selfish desires, will lead you to what you want to do. And because of that, there's going to be a constant war inside of you. And whether you're part of, of, of this religion or you're part of another religion, my hope is you have an answer for that. Because that is something that every single person alive will deal with. A battle in them of doing what they should do and doing what they want to do. Paul said, I constantly find myself doing the things that I don't want to do when I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. Every person deals with this. Every person struggles with this conflict between where the Spirit is leading us and where your fleshly desires are leading you. He says they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You're not supposed to do whatever you desire. There's a part of you that's going to rage to do that. There's a part of you that's going to rage to, to walk the path of strong emotional appeal. It's newer, it's bigger, it's better, it's brighter, it's shinier. There's a 25% return. You're, there's going to be a party that constantly wages and rages to go that way. Paul said, but you're not supposed to do what you desire. You're not always supposed to do that. Now, some of these things aren't bad. Getting in good relationships, it's not a bad thing. Leasing isn't a bad thing. Owning a home isn't a bad thing. But if the path you're on, you're just on it because of the strong emotional appeal, I think you need to take a step back because the strong emotional appeal is actually a red flag, not a green light. It's a red flag. If you find yourself just walking past because it's just paved with all the things that you want, all the things that you desire, it should be a red flag for you to take a step back, to look up, maybe to enter into that conversation with your mom or your dad or your friend or your boss who's been telling you, I don't think this is what you want. I don't think this is going where you think it's going to go. You probably shouldn't be dating him. You probably shouldn't be engaged to her. You probably shouldn't take that job. You probably shouldn't buy that thing. I don't think this is going to get you where you want to go. But we're so blinded by our confirmation bias, we can't see it. If at any point your conscience begins to get, to get pricked, there's like this tingling, like, like I just shouldn't do this. Maybe, I, maybe there's something at risk here. Maybe I just want this too much. Your strong emotional appeal, it should be viewed as a red flag, not a green light. Put the brakes on, take a step back. Not all of these things are bad, but the path that you don't want to be on is paved with strong emotional appeal. And it'll lead you to a place you don't want to go if we're not careful and we take a step back and hear what other people are saying because they can see what you can't see and they can hear what you can't hear. Paul says, here's what you got to do. Here's how I want you to avoid this path. Nobody wants to do this. We, we, nobody wants to be baited in by what we love and what we desire and then get there and find it's not at all what we wanted. So here's what you should do. But if you're led by the Spirit 
If God's spirit inside of you is leading you with these nudgings and you're following the nudgings of loving people first, loving people the way Jesus did, you are not under the law. The, the law has no hold over you anymore because you're living just like Jesus with other people first. He says you're not under the law. It leads us living this way, living, being led by the spirit, living, being led by, by the nudgings of God's spirit. It leads us to this terrifying the captivating question that you've heard me ask you so many times. What does love require of me? When you see somebody on the street and, and there's this thing on the inside of you to go and maybe enter into a conversation, maybe buy a meal, what does love require of me? When somebody's struggling at work and you know if you just leave them there, they're going to fail and then you can do it and get all the glory and get the promotion, what does love require of me? When you and your wife keep butting heads because it's always about you and your way and, and, and what you want to do, what does love require of me? When you're so stressed because of work and your life that all you do is scream and yell and get frustrated with your kids, what does love require of me? You see, that one question leads us to living a life being led by the Spirit. What did love require of Jesus? The sacrifice, really the ultimate sacrifice. That I would give my life for you. What does love require of me? And Paul says this, he says, the acts of the flesh. Guys, the acts of the flesh are obvious. I almost get the sense that he's writing this, like, I've covered this already. I shouldn't need to cover this again. You should know this. You should know what the acts of the flesh are. You should know what the selfish desires are. There's this huge list. And, and my guess is that if I created like a peer group of people and I said, hey, hey, let's come together in this 21st century and let's kind of, let's put a list together. What would it look like if we lived life only concerned about ourselves and our future and our wealth and, and our position? What would it look like? My guess is even 2,000 years after Paul, we would put together a list that looks so much like this. I'm not going to give you the whole list because the list is long and it would take all day to cover everything that he says. But I've abbreviated the list for you. Here's three things that should be obvious to us. Sexual immorality, selfish ambition, and envy. And you see this first one, and, and, and if you're, you're not comfortable with church, you haven't gone to church, my, my guess is your immediate reaction is, see, that's why I don't go to church. Because every church and every Christian thinks they can crawl up into my bedroom and tell me how to live my life sexually. And it's none of your business. Here's what you need to know, is that the Apostle Paul actually agrees with you. The Apostle Paul says, you're right. This is written to Christians. As a matter of fact, later on, he would say this. He would say, what business is it of mine? What business is it of mine to judge those who are outside the church? It's no business. We don't have the same worldview. You haven't followed Jesus. You haven't ascribed to the same belief system I have. You have, you have no idea how to live the way I want to live. I shouldn't judge you and hold you accountable to that. But if you want to follow Jesus, here's what you need to know. The acts of the flesh are sexual immorality. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, here's why you should listen to his words. Because regardless of how we feel about our sexual exploration and these desires we want to kind of walk down and live, is that there is so much incredible wisdom in what he's saying that if you applied it, truthfully, at the end of your life, you'd be happier. Here's how I know this. Because anytime I meet with people and they say, Pastor, I need to come and talk to you. They go to a counselor. Counselor, I need to come and share something. Father, I need to tell you something I've never told anybody before. It's never about a parking violation. It's never like I didn't fill out my TPS report. Almost 90% of the time, it comes back to this. I did something. Somebody did something to me. 
And what started off as appealing has now become a prison. And I don't know what to do. I mean, of course your heavenly father would speak into this. Of course your heavenly father would lead Paul to write about this. Because he understands what we understand after the experience is that this creates so much regret and so much hurt for other people if we're not careful. So this is the acts of the flesh. When we treat this as if it's ours and we can do whatever we want and sacrifice somebody else's future and somebody else's future desires and somebody else's future relationships for our own in the moment, then we're walking towards the acts of the flesh. Of course, God would speak into this. Whether we're Christian or not, if we lived this way, the truth is, we'd ultimately be happier. And then it goes to selfish ambition. This innate desire in us that it's me and it's my life and it's, it's what I want that counts. I don't really care about what she wants. I don't care about what he wants. It's what I want. I want to be the best. I want to be the first. I want to be the brightest. I want to have the new thing. I've got to be on top. And then he gets to envy. And envy is one of those things that, that, that is, is, it's so blind in the person who's envious. They just, there's this constant desire in them to have what somebody else's have and do whatever it takes to get there. They'll sacrifice careers. They'll sacrifice morals. They'll sacrifice the law. They'll empty their bank accounts and break the law to get there. Look, I finally got what you have. And these people have no idea they're even trying to be like them. Like, what are you talking about? You didn't notice? I broke the law. I emptied my bank account to get here. Why? Well, because I was envious. I wanted what you had. I wanted to be like you. I wanted to look like you. And if I got there, then maybe they would be envious of me and I'd be more respected than people would want me. And these are things that are so easy to hide and so easy to cover. But I think these are things that are so easily found in the church if we're not careful. You say, guys, this is obvious. This is living with selfish ambition. This is living the me first life not the other's first life that Jesus promised. Paul says, against these things, I warn you. I warn you as I did before. I've covered this guy so many times. I warn you and I warn you and I warn you. That those of you who live like this, and then he says something that, that is complex and, and people debate it. And the truth is, I'm not even going to wrap it up for you. I'm going to leave the tension there. He says, anybody who lives this way will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and, and we see this and it's like, he's saying that there's not just sin, there's loss. There's incredible loss. And people read this and they think, well, it's just about heaven. You know, if we live this way, they just don't go to heaven. I'm not sure that that's what it means. Other people say, well, if they live this way, they won't receive the reward in heaven. I'm not sure what it means. Here's what I know it means, and this is why I love the tension in this. That if you live this way, you will not live a life that Jesus ordained for you on this earth. He said, I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. You will never experience life abundant on earth if you live with yourself first, if you live with your selfish ambitions first. You may never make it to heaven. Here's what I, what I would say. Let's just not do that at all. Whatever the risk, whatever the outcome, it's not good. Whether it's I don't get into heaven or I get into heaven, I don't get a reward. It's not what we want. Have you ever experienced people, have you ever talked to people who, who live life and they say, I'm a Christian and I love God, but my life is never going my way and it's always woe is me and I'm down. Paul would say, maybe it's because you're living like this. Because if you're not living this way, it leads to life abundant. It leads to a life that's overflowing. That was the promise. That was the guarantee by Jesus. That if you follow me, I will lead you to life and I will lead it to a life in all of its fullness. I got to tell you, whatever the risk is here, it's not worth it. 
Whatever the tension is there, live in it. But don't be a part of it. Follow Jesus to the life that he has always ordained and promised for you. And if you find yourself feeling like, hey, that's me. I'm not where I want to be. I'm, not, I'm on the path I don't want to be on. It's taking me in a direction I don't want to see. I, may, I can't see it all the time, but my mom tells me. My husband tells me. My wife, may, she tells me all the time. What do I do? You begin living in a different direction. Because the direction you're in led you there. And the only way out is to change your direction and start living in a different way. Choose satisfying over appealing. Appealing looks good and it's bright and it's shiny and it's new. But it is never, ever, ever satisfying. We know that. If you haven't experienced it for yourself, you've seen somebody else experience it. I thought it was going to leave me. I thought it was fun. I thought it would give me a high. And now it's a prison. What was appealing isn't satisfying. Paul said, don't live that way. The risk is too great. But he says this, and I love how he wraps this up. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of living the, the other's first life, the fruit of living and following the nudgings of God's Spirit in your heart is this. And this is, this is the promise. This is, this is like the guarantee that Jesus said, here's the life I'm leading you toward. It's this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he wraps it up with this amazing statement. Against such things, there is no law. Go back to that list for me. Here's what he means by this. He says, if you live your life according to the flesh, if you live your life with, with your lust first and your sexual desires first and your, your selfish ambition first and your envy first and, and that whole list that he goes through that's really long and, and really elaborate, if you live that way first, you need laws. You need rules to govern because you'll end up in a place you don't want. You, you'll get addicted to things you never intended to get addicted to. You need laws for that. But if you live this way, there's no law. Let me illustrate it this way. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know what the problem is with my wife? She just loves me way too much. Like, somebody's got to talk to her and just tell her, like, stop loving me too much. It is, it is sick. It's just too much love. Have you ever heard anybody yell at their kids, kids, just, just shut up in the back seat. You're being too kind. I've had too much kindness. I don't want to go home. There's too much peace in my home. Like, it's, it's just peaceful and relaxing and enjoyable all the time. You know what the problem is with my husband? He's just faithful. Like, he goes on these trips, and I don't worry about where he goes. I don't worry about who he talks to. Like, he, he writes me love notes and poems, and he creates, like, mixed CDs to tell me how much he loves me. Like, nobody, ever, there's no law against this. Have you ever had anyone say, there's, you know what? You just have too much self-control. That's, that's your problem. He said, there's no law because this is what all of us want. If at the end of the day we put a list together of our greatest heart's desire, this is what it would come down to. I want to be loved. I want to have joy. I want to have peace. I want to be patient. I would love to be kind and to be treated kindly. I would love to know that my husband is faithful and that I could be faithful to him. I would love to be gentle to my wife and my children. And I'd love to have some self-control. That is the life abundant. That is the life that Jesus said, this is what I will lead you to if you follow me. This is what our lives should represent. Because against this, there is no law. See, so many of us end up in a place where we look back and we think, how did I get there? 
It's because we chose the path that was full and paved with strong emotional appeal that led to our desires and led to leveraging other people for our sake. And we get to the end and realize this isn't satisfying. This isn't even what I wanted. And I look back and my life isn't anything like I thought it should be. Paul said, here's the life that Jesus could lead you towards. If you just follow him out. See, if you find yourself in a mess this morning, the truth is you followed your way in. You can't follow your way out. You've got to follow Jesus out. That's why his invitation was follow me and not believe or stop. Follow, and I will lead you to life in all of its fullness. That's ultimately what we want for you. That's what I want for you. That's what your heavenly Father wants for you, that you would choose the path that doesn't, isn't leading towards appealing, but it leads towards satisfying. That you would choose to change your direction and follow Jesus. That's what he wants for you. That's what I want for you. The, cho- the truth is, though, it's your choice. No one can make you do it except you. So if you find yourself there this morning, you say, Jim, that's me. I've walked the path. It's led me to my selfish ambitions. It's led me with strong emotional appeal, and now I'm not where I want to be. Is it too late? Here's the good news. No. It's a principle, and the principle of the path sticks to you whether you want it to or not. It works for you or against you. If you're where you don't want to be, change direction. Here's a Bible word for it. Repent. And say, I followed myself here, and it's miserable, and it's awful, and I'm sorry. But I'm willing to follow you out. You sowed and you reaped your way in, and the only way out is to sow and to reap your way out. It might take some time, but if you change your direction, things begin to change. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I thank you for this incredible message. And I know it can feel so heavy and and hard at times, but God, it is so, so full of truth and and, and grace. I mean, these incredible words. God, I thank you that they survived thousands of years. I thank you that it is still so incredibly applicable today. And I pray for each person here, God, that as we wrestle with this, as we wrestle to realize the path we're on, God, that it might not be the one we want, that it's leading towards appealing instead of satisfying that it's being paved with our own selfish ambitions. God, that we would turn to you, that we would stop, that we'd see the red flag, and that we'd change directions. I pray that you'd give us the wisdom to know what to do with that and the courage to do it. And that as we begin to change directions, God, that we would begin to see things change, that you would lead us to life abundant as we follow you. In Jesus' name I pray.